We're going to break down for 2 Timothy chapter number 3 into three sections tonight. The first two are bad news. The third is very good news. The third is the remedy for the first two. So let's look at the first two. First of all, in verses 1 through 9, Paul warns Timothy that perilous times shall come. It says, in the last days, perilous times shall come. I don't think any of us would dispute that we are living in the last days. On the other hand, I need to remind you that just about every age of believers since Christ left the earth, beginning with Paul, thought that they were living in the last days. I think it's, it would be, to my human thinking, virtually impossible that the Lord should not come within the next few years. Nevertheless, my preachers thought that when I was a boy. So, But what we need to take from the phrase, the last days, is this, that the further we go, the worse it will get. See, as Americans in the current culture, we're not just seeing the last days, we're also living in the decline of a nation. So even if we were nowhere near the second coming of Christ, the decline of a nation would still be a horrible thing to endure. So I'm not, I'm not trying to say I don't think Christ is coming, but also we need to be very careful to understand that our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, we need to make a way for them. And we cannot assume, well, the Lord's coming in five years. I remember thinking 10 years ago that, well, we'll never see 2017. I mean, the Lord's going to come way before that. And I remember hearing preachers say things like that. And you can't, you can't let yourself think like that. You've got to make a way for the rest of your life. You've got to make a way for your children's lives. You've got to make a way for your grandchildren's lives. But understand that the further we go, the worse things will get. So, as we read verses 1 through 9, tell me that this doesn't sound like where we're living. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, ever learning but never and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. So verses 1 through 9, perilous times shall come. Don't let it surprise you that the world in which we live gets nastier by the day, gets more horrible by the day. And just when you think you've seen the news report that is the worst thing you've ever seen, 
One day later, you see something even worse. And with social media, and of course, many times things get blown out of proportion. A lot of times we're seeing things that were already happening. They're just not, they weren't as visible as they are now. But no mistake about it, the culture is getting worse and worse and worse. As we talked about last Sunday night, as I talked about this morning on the radio, perilous times shall come and it should not surprise us. It should not surprise us the horrible things that we see outside of the church. It should not surprise us the, the disgusting things that we see inside the church. And I happen to think that the, that the decline outside of the church is a result of the decline inside of the church. I'm actually amazed at how many Christians have completely abandoned and compromised the basics of their faith, and then they had the gall to be surprised that the world is doing, some, doing the same thing, only at a, on a different, much lower level. But I believe if God's people had not abandoned the basics of their faith in the last 20 to 30 years, that the world, actually, America, would be in better shape than she is. Perilous times shall come. What did you think perilous times was going to look like? As you have pondered in your lifetime living in the last days, and we, you know, we've watched the, the movies and the big movie when I was a kid, The Thief in the Night, and uh, life was filled with guns and wars, and I wish we'd all been ready. And uh, you have to have grown up in church in the 70s to know about what I just uh, sang there. But uh, anyway, but, you know, and it got you pondering what, what the last days were going to be like and, and uh, even what they portrayed on a on a screen uh, uh, 40 years ago does not begin to compare with what we're living in the middle of right now but I ask you what did you think perilous times were going to look like what did you think apostasy was going to look like as people get on social media and spout in the name of Christ all kinds of nonsense all kinds of foolishness. All You say, where in the world have you ever read a Bible? Where could you possibly come up with such ridiculous, asinine beliefs? Well, what did you think apostasy was going to look like? And so we're living in the middle of it, not setting a date for Christ's return, not saying that, well, okay, we're definitely within three years. No, I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying, what did you think the last days were going to look like? What do you think perilous times would look like? What do you think apostasy would look like? So, verses 1 through 9, perilous times shall come. But there's more bad news in verses 10 through 13. And that is that persecution is inevitable. Look at verses 10 through 13. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So in that passage, three times the word persecution, ending with a statement of inevitability. Verse number 12, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, persecution has different levels. I hope that we never live to see in our society 
the levels as described in the Fox's Book of Martyrs and other places that very clearly describe the persecution and the execution of God's people. I hope we don't live to see that, but I also hope we're prepared in case it comes. But persecution can be at a much lesser level. Uh, well, this is not, this is somewhat lesser. None of us has had to face anything like this yet. But I think of the baker in, Cal- in Colorado who, because he was a Christian and because he believed in God's definition of marriage in supposedly a free country, refer, uh, refused to bake a cake for the wedding of, of two men. He said, I'm sorry, I'll do anything else you want me to do, but I will not make a wedding cake. And uh, as, as uh, things progressed, it was revealed that they were specifically targeting him because he was a Christian baker. This was not a random incident. These men were not offended. They were going after him. And there we go back to uh, perilous times and persecution. Understand that we are a target. And by the way, be prudent about those things. Be careful about spouting off at the mouth. The Christian Law Association has warned us in the past of be careful of what you say over the phone. Be careful of what you say to first time. First of all, if you're thinking right and acting right, you're not going to say anything stupid anyway. But what they do is they try to draw you out and to try to pull out uh, deflammatory comments. If they think that you might be thinking something angry and hateful, they'll try to get you to say it. And they got a little recording device in their pocket. And as soon as they get you to cross the line, they run and they try to get uh, a suit or charges filed against you. And yes, that's going on in America. And you've got to be very careful, very discreet about what you say. The militant. Now, look, I'm not talking about people that believe they are gay. I disagree with them. I don't believe that that's a thing. And uh, hey, this America, right? I have a, a, a freedom to, to not to not believe that, right? And um, I do not, and I kindly and lovingly disagree. And I would be willing to have that discussion with anybody in a kind and loving way, not in a, not in a combative way. But right now, I'm not talking about the person who's been persuaded that he is homosexual and that God made him that way and that he was born that way. Right now, I'm talking about a militant political group. And it's two different things. Uh, I'm talking about a militant political group that is trying to force the legitimacy of homosexuality upon all of us. And they have, they've taken corporations, clearly. I don't know if you pay attention, but you, you'd be shocked if you'd pay attention to how many commercials by major corporations are throwing homosexuality in your face, gay marriage in your face, two dads and a little girl in your face. They've, they've won corporate America. They've won the media, obviously. They've won uh, the sports world. They've won in, in the, uh, the mainstream. Of, there's one place where they haven't won yet. And that's in Bible-believing churches. They've won a bunch of churches, not real churches. They've won a bunch of churches. And by the way, you, I, I saw this week the phrase progressive evangelical. What? Progressive evangelical. Um, they've won the, whatever that is, progressive evangelicals. The ones that think it's okay for, for, to, to smoke pot. I'm talking about Christians that think it's okay, that, you know, hey, God made you that way, that's okay. 
but they know they haven't. We're the holdouts, Bible-believing churches. And there's, there's still lots of us, praise the Lord. But they know that we're the holdouts. and they're trying. This is not me making this up. This is, the, this is our attorneys telling us this. Be careful. They are after you in a very aggressive way. Be, be a good Christian. Be kind. Be loving. Be what you're supposed to be, and you won't fall into their traps. Those kinds of persecutions. And then there's, there's a, a lower level of persecution which you might face on your job or in your family. You're an outcast at work or maybe even you don't get the promotion at work. Now, I believe that most, most places that you work, if you're just a great employee, they can't help but promote you. But there are some bosses that are so dug in in their anti-Christianity, that, yeah, you could lose the promotion. You could lose the opportunity because of your faith. That's persecution. By the way, don't develop a complex. Don't go around with your finger pointing. I didn't get the job because I don't like Christians. Maybe you didn't get the job because you're a doofus. Maybe you didn't get the job because you show up late every day. Maybe you didn't get the job because you call off half the time. So don't, don't develop that complex. Just be the best employee that you can be and be the best person that you can be. I shared this with my Sunday school class this morning, and I'm going to share it with you. In fact, let me see if I can. I don't know if I can get you to hear this or not. It may not be. Um, uh, it may not be loud enough. But uh, somebody shared something on, on Twitter the other day that just apps. I'm not I'm not being funny here. I was absolutely put under conviction by Tim Tebow. So here it is. If I can, there it is. Okay, so Tim, Tim Tebow here is hitting golf balls, all right, at a, at a driving range. Can you see? Everybody see him? Okay. And no, you can't. I know you can't. But, um, and there's some guy on the phone in the background. Somebody obviously is taking a video of Tim Tebow. But you hear some guy talking in the background and then uh, I'll tell you up front so you know what to listen to. You don't hear Tim Tebow say anything in the whole video except two words. And the two words, whoever's talking in the background, it seems like he's on the phone. And excuse me for, for saying this, um, but he, he takes the Lord's name in vain. He, he takes Jesus' name in vain. So Tim Tebow, you can hear the clank of the golf club. And he just drove a golf ball, you know, 50 gazillion miles. And the guy on the phone says, Jesus. And right after you hear Tim Tebow, doesn't even look up. His eyes still on the ball like it's supposed to be. Immediately you hear Tim Tebow say, loves you. That's his reflex. His reflex is when he's around somebody that takes the Lord's name in vain is to finish the sentence with loves you. Boy, that put me to shame. I've never done that one time in my life. Let's see if I can get you to hear this. I didn't try this in advance. Hey, hey. hey. I hear that stroke over there, PA. I'll see you soon. Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? And the guy, the guy just breaks down laughing that he's just been shamed like that. Um, and the person that posted it is actually a member of Solid Rock Baptist Church, and he said, how come I haven't been saying this my whole life when somebody takes Jesus' name in vain? 
But if you stand for Jesus, you're going to face persecution. Yes, Tim Tebow has been a tremendous icon for Christ in the sports world and the American culture. But don't think he hasn't faced persecution as a result. You stand for Jesus, you're going to face persecution. So, verses 1 through 9, perilous times. Verses 10 through 13, persecution is inevitable. But now, verses 14 through 17, the scriptures will prepare you. And that's what I want to show you tonight. And very quickly, don't get scared of this number. They're going to be quick things, but eight things I see here. Don't miss them. Because this, this is what Paul is telling Timothy. Timothy, you're going to face peril. And by the way, this is... This is Paul's farewell. The next chapter, he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. This is goodbye. And so before he goes, he says, Timothy, perilous times are coming. Persecution is inevitable. But the scriptures will prepare you. Let's look at these eight things very quickly. First thing he says, and I want you to notice this. Verse 13 says, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Verse 14, but continue thou. In other words, the world's going this way and they're going to beat you up in the process, but continue thou. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. Now, as we go through verses 14 through 17, and we've read them already, We're going to find out that the whole context is about the scriptures. So with that in mind, that this whole passage is about the Bible, the word of God. First of all, continue with what you have learned. It says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. Continue with what you have learned. Listen, you may never come to church. And hear that one great message that blows you away and sends you into great spiritual heavenly places, puts you on the mountaintop and says, Woo! That was a, you may never hear that message here. But I tell you what you will hear Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You will learn the things that you need. That if you continue in them, you'll be okay through the perilous times and the persecutions. You get, if you come to Sunday school, if you, those of you that have have, uh, grown up in our church to any extent, and you've been to Sunday school, and you've heard the same Bible lessons week after week in a cycle of every two years, You've gotten more to prepare you in Sunday school than a lot of believers ever get. Just knowing the stories of the Bible and having them drilled into your mind and heart, that will come back to you again and again and again. And if you continue in those things, you're going to get through the perilous times and the persecutions. Continue with what you have learned. Secondly, second part of verse 14, knowing... Of whom thou hast learned them. Now Paul references elsewhere Timothy's mother and his grandmother. And of course he's also talking about himself and Silas and the other people who have influenced Timothy. Timothy has had some great influences, godly influences in his life. So 
How do you prepare? How do you use the scriptures to prepare for the perilous times and the persecutions? First of all, continue with what you have learned. But secondly, remember your godly teachers. Now, along the way, you may have teachers who, in fact, the further you go, you will have teachers who disappoint you. You will have teachers who wind up out of church and away from God altogether. You will have teachers that you'll run into at Stop and Shop or Walmart, and you'll say, man, I just can't even believe that, that you used to teach me the Bible. You may have teachers that wind up in prison. But remember your godly teachers. Don't let the teachers discourage you who get off track. People are people, and they fail. But remember your godly teachers. Remember the people who have influenced you and taught you and their lives to this day, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years later, are still a pillar of Christian living and of God's blessing. Remember your godly teachers. Next, look at verse 15. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. Think about what God's truth has done for you. I'm 51 years old as I look back over my life and I realize what a wonderful life God has blessed me with and it all can be traced back to the power of the Word of God. If it weren't for the Word of God, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be preaching the gospel. If it weren't for the Word of God, I wouldn't be a Bible college graduate. If it weren't for the word of God, I wouldn't have the girl of my dreams as my wife. If it weren't for the word of God, I wouldn't have the three most awesome children in the world. If it weren't for the word of God, I wouldn't be, have the joy of knowing that I'm living in the will of God every day of my life and fulfilling the purpose of God for my life. If it weren't for the word of God, I would not have had the strength to endure the challenges and the trials that have been thrown in my way. I'm saying, think about what God's truth has done for you. Think about how God's truth has caused you to win victories, has caused you to overcome temptation and sin in your life, has caused you to have answered prayer, has caused you to stay on track, or even when you got off track, to get back on track because the Word of God was so ingrained in your heart. Think about what God's truth has done for you. The second part of verse 15. Well, let's, start, let's get a running start again. That from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, there's, there's so many things more even than what I'm bringing out here. But I do want to bring out from the second part of that verse, if you want the scriptures to prepare you for perilous times and persecutions, put your faith in God's truth. The older you get, the more you grow. Put your faith in God's truth. Learn to take God at his word. Memorize scripture and trust God. And at the most difficult times in your life, go back to those scriptures and remind yourself that my faith has always been in the word of God and it will continue to be in the word of God. No matter what perilous times surround me, no matter what persecutions I face, face I'm going to put my faith in the word of God and he's going to get me through. Next, verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Ask God to give you absolute confidence in his word. 
I don't want to take too much time here because I don't want to lengthen the message. But I can tell you when I was 14, 15, 16 years old. So I get tired of hearing about when you were 14, 15, 16. I bet you do, but those were pivotal, pivotal years in my life. And I ask you, when were the pivotal years in your life? What are the years that you could tell us about where your, your faith really took root and defined the rest of your life? So I'm sorry, but that's when it happened for me, and so I'm going to tell you about it. But I can vividly remember wanting to know for sure where my faith was anchored. And the whole, first of all, I faced the concept of, do we actually have every word of God in the Bible? I wasn't even wrestling with versions of the Bible at that point. I was, do do we actually have every word of God? Did he give us every word or he just give people the thoughts and they wrote? I read somewhere for the first time that God just gave the thoughts and man wrote it down in his own words. And I started to think about the promises that I was counting on for salvation And what if those were not God's words? What if those were man's words? And I began to realize that in other places of the Bible, God promised that he would give me his words that I could put my confidence in. So I prayed it through, I sought the Lord, and I came to a decision of faith that if God wants me to trust his word, then he must have given me every word in his Bible. But then I started facing the question of, Is it the same as it was when he gave it? It's been copied so many times. There are no originals of any book of the Bible. The original manuscripts, they don't exist in this world today. And uh, when people talk about the originals, they're actually talking about copies. We don't have the originals. So, and, and here's an important question, by the way. Was it up to man to preserve God's word, or did God promise that he would preserve his word? God promised to preserve his word. So I, I'm not a big fan of people who go back and try to prove what good scribes the scribes were, how reliable they were, and, and how to piece together manuscripts and that, piece together this, and, and uh, by comparing all of the manuscripts we come to. That's all fine and good, but the bottom line is God promised to preserve his word. And so as I started to consider 14, 15, 16 years old, when I started to consider that God promised to preserve his word and these other versions that are coming along, and they had really started to spring up at that point, if they don't all say the same thing, they can't all be right. So which one did God preserve? And I came to the conclusion for myself, I didn't get this from going to Bible college, I didn't get this by reading anybody's book, I got this from seeking the Lord for myself. I came to the conclusion, by the way, the same way I came to the conclusion that God created the world because he said he did. I'm not a scientist, I haven't done the the research. By the way, though, all the research I get backs up what I chose to believe. But the same way I came to the conclusion about my Bible, God promised to preserve his word. And I was convinced at that point that this is God's word. And by the way, all of the evidence that I have seen since then has backed up my belief in God's word. I'm saying to you, God promises all scripture is given by inspiration of God. You're going to have to decide for one thing, whether that's just a promise that applied to 
the first copies that were written 2,000 years ago, but they don't apply to us? Or does that promise apply to us? If that promise applies to us, you know, like people that want us to believe that, well, God was real good when it came to getting those 40 writers to put his words on paper, but he forgot to preserve it. He was real good at inspiration, but preserving it, it's like, well, I don't know what to do. I hope they do a good job of it because I'm not sure how to do it. You look at the track record of this book and read some time of the miracles. Do you understand that in, (coughs) excuse me, I think it was (coughs) 1536. I'm sorry. Yeah, 1536, I believe it was. William Tyndale, who was largely responsible for putting our Bible in English, was burned at the stake for putting our Bible into English. And the last words he said as he died, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. When King James, and he's no wonderful saint, he's not a hero of the faith. It's not about who he was. When King James became the king of the United Kingdoms, now I'm not a British historian, but to my understanding, we're talking there about England, Scotland, and Ireland. Is that Wales? Uh, We're not talking animals. We're talking countries here. Anyway, um, but he was put in charge of the United Kingdom, and it was a very difficult thing. I may not have my historical facts. I may not be spouting them all perfectly, but the principle of what I'm talking about is dead on here. When he was put in charge of all of the kingdom, he had to please everybody. And he had to please everybody both politically and religiously because the king of England was also the person in charge of the Church of England. He was basically the pope of the Church of England. At the same time, he was the king of the country. So, they were putting together things that would make everybody happy, and they brought a list of suggestions to the king of things that would please everyone, but that would unite everyone. And he took that list, and he basically, he looked at it, and he said, nope, nope, nope. All the way down the list, he, no. No, he got to the bottom of the list, and it said, create an authorized English version of the Bible. And after he had said no to every other recommendation on that list, he said, let's get to work on that bottom one. Roughly 70 years after a dying William Tyndale prayed, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. Now, I didn't know that story when I was 15 years old. But when I heard it, it reinforced that it's one of many, many, many reinforcements of what I decided by faith when I was 15 years old. I've spent too much time on this, but ask God to give you absolute confidence in his word. Second part of verse 16, we've got three more to go and make them fast. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Can I summarize those things by saying the word of God will keep you in line? So, let God's word attain its full potential in your life. 
Don't be a partial subscriber to the Word of God. Get all in with the Word of God. Let it transform you. Let it impact your mind. Let it impact your heart. Let it impact your life. Get all in with the Word of God. Verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect. Now, you can look at that and say, well, that's not for me because I'm not a preacher. Or you can look at that and say, well, if it'll work, the preacher, if it'll work for the preacher, it'll work for me. I would encourage you to go with the second application there. Let God's word mature you. That's what the word perfect means. It means complete. It means mature. The word of God will mature you, not just as a Christian. Listen, if you are matured as a Christian, you'll be matured as a man or as a woman. Let the word of God mature you. Second part of verse 17, last point, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. In other words, you'll be fully prepared to do what you are supposed to do. So last point, let God's word fully prepare you. Let me read this list to you again. Continue with what you've learned. Remember your godly teachers. Think about what God's truth has done for you. Put your faith in God's truth. Ask God to give you absolute confidence in his word. Let God's word attain its full potential in your life. Let God's word mature you. Let God's word fully prepare you. Perilous times are coming and they have come and they're going to continue to come and they're going to get worse. Persecution is inevitable. But the scriptures will prepare you. Oh, I beg you to have a strong relationship with the word of God. Let's stand together for prayer tonight.